Welcome to the Jess Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. I'm super excited to have Shaq Manning on the show today. Shaq, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Jess. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So I definitely want to talk about your super interesting background, startups that end up selling to Carlisle, your time in the energy space, all these different funds. You've got a pretty fancy sounding job title these days. Can you tell people? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so right now I serve as the chief for commercial strategy for DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. And, you know, basically my whole mission, it's it's basically around DARPA's mission is to avoid and impose technological surprise around national security. And um, but, you know, when you think about national security or my role at DARPA, it's also means about economic health, food security. Um, you know, and I can talk a little bit for those that are not familiar with DARPA, I can talk a little bit about our work with um, mRNA, which was really, if you think about DARPA, it's a 60 year old agency, probably about 125 folks. And these program managers come from everywhere, small companies, large companies, academic research groups. And so the cool thing was, um, if you think about it, um, around just national security, thinking about having a vaccine for our armed forces. So before COVID-19, there was a DARPA program manager who came to DARPA. He thought about this and he went, you know, how could I have, if I could collect a blood sample and within 60 days be able to develop a vaccine? That was the challenge that he had before COVID-19. He had four teams working on this. And when COVID-19, the pandemic hit, he just went fast track mode and they were able to contribute and help on that on that vaccine therapeutic that's DARPA so cool you know I think well I have a lot of questions I think one of my first questions though is you think about these things that come out of DARPA that um, are, are orders of magnitude better than what's already existed like uh, I think it was a TED talk where they talked about like being able to get a vehicle in, I don't want to call it an airplane, but yeah. get a airborne vehicle to do Mach 20. Right. Can you talk about that at all? So, um, so I think you're trying to refer to, so there's a lot of work right now. Uh, and you should go to our website, you know, www.darpa.mil. Um, you'll hear about these when we, we really set the audacious goals. So again, it's only agency where people can come. People are recruited from all over. They come. They only serve four to six years at max, right? Everyone in the agency. And so when you come to DARPA, what they'll tell you the first thing is they'll say, you know, if you don't, if you invent the internet, you get an A. And anything, you know, after that is like a C plus. So on this challenge for, you know, these, you know, hitting these incredible speeds, you know, we'll say, all right. And we've done a number of tests that you've seen um, recently in the news around hypersonics, right? And so how do you, so we, we've set this audacious goals. We have teams. We go and we design these very rigorous tests. And usually when we, we set these goals, people will say, hey, I can, you know, I think here's my research plan. I'm going to go through the process and the steps. And it's going to take me 10 years. And we say, okay, great. Let's figure out how we do that in three. That is <laughs> Absolutely the darker way. So let's talk about this. Speed. You know, what what was the fastest, what was the fastest or airborne vehicle? Like what is, how fast does an F-35 go? Like you know, I, I, I cannot know, tell you out the top. Something? So so I cannot I would probably be the wrong person to quote you the exact numbers on this on the sure, speed. Sure. Um but I mean you're talking about DARPA, it's usually we say you want to see either a three X increase in three to 10 X in performance, a reduction in cost by a factor of three to 10 X, you know, and then we'll, and we'll look at and how long it will take you to achieve that. So anything that you look at for it to be kind of DARPA harder, it's gotta be at that level of a, just a, a incredible increase in performance. Well, th this is exactly what I was going to get to is, you know, there's so many organizations that have got a continuous improvement program. They're trying to get 3% better at something. 300 to a thousand percent better. So my question is, you look at this organization that's existed for 60 plus years, you brought up, um, and the ability to do this over and over, you know, Warren Buffett would say that means it's in somebody's circle of competence. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Um, 
what do you think they do that other organizations don't? Like what what's so special yeah. about DARPA that this wasn't a one hit wonder? That yeah. this is systematic, institutional. Kind of what's that DARPA magic, right? So I'm gonna tell you it's probably it's the only I think it's unlike any other organization, any unlike any other government agency. I mean, first you have to you have to say that the vision to drive DARPA innovation, it's really about, you know, all the different program managers that come to serve theirs. It's almost like democratizing innovation in one sense. You know, so if you think about it, at any given time, we have about 125 to 150 program managers. They have a wide latitude to create programs. So they have to come. They come to go solve a specific problem. It's really mission driven. OK. And then these individual researchers or entrepreneurs you know, anyone can speak with them. They can talk to anyone in the entire world, right? And what they'll do is they have to answer these very specific questions and they're called the Hallmark Catechism. And so one, you've got people from all over coming to DARPA. No one, when you come to DARPA, you actually get a badge and on your badge is an expiration date. You're like a carton of milk. So that means you know that you only have a short amount of time at DARPA to go solve a problem that you can make a big difference with. And I almost say it's like people that talk about if you knew you were going to die, how would you live the, you know, the next however many months that you have to live? Would you spend it with your loved ones? And we talk about that at a personal level. But at DARPA, you actually have that same feeling, but in your career. So people know that they only have this four to six years at best. So they're going to make the most of it and they're going to be bold and they're going to try new things. So the second, I think, I really premise or to think about this is I was talking earlier about these Hallmark questions. So George Hallmark, who was, he was from Texas Instruments, he served, he was, um, he came up with these very simple questions and they're kind of like, you know, without any jargon, what are your, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Again, mission-driven innovation. And then without any any jargon, how are you about going to do that? What's the current state of the art of practice? What are the metrics you're going to use? How much is going to cost? Who's going to be the team? And who's going to care if you're successful? And so, you know, though that kind of thinking um, really helps you go make a cogent, logical argument. It also helps going against this whole theory of the wisdom of crowds. Because a lot of times, if you're thinking about incremental, everyone agrees it's a good idea. So now we're going to do this incremental. This is about disruption and being able to achieve the mission for, for our national security, which is around posing and preventing technological surprise. Um, so you, you have those dynamics. The other thing that's really important, you know, is we set a metric or a really hard goal to show that you actually did or proved. So you know, you're asking about, you know, how fast we can achieve a speed. So that's kind of the metric, but it's also about, you know, how you can do that and you have these boundary constraints. So that's the other thing that we do. And so we down select teams. So we might have several teams that start off. Everything is competitive. We put this crazy, you know, idea up front. We know that it's a problem or be a potential problem that we're going to go solve. We send out, you know, we have PMs, we write up and we say, okay, this is the challenge. We have people that come in and write proposals, teams, they all compete. We down select, they have to demonstrate. We'll go show up, put a really tough metric there. They'll go demonstrate that. The ones that are not successful, they're out. Right, Jess? So it's a pretty tough environment, but the ones that succeed, it's, it's, it's game changing. And, um, Funding-wise, did I read DARPA has about $3.8 to put behind these things? Sorry, $3.8 billion? Yeah, so, it, so the agency has close to $4 billion. And, and the other thing is to think about DARPA has no research labs. None of, that, none of that funding is spent inside DARPA. There are no you know, large labs. There are no research groups inside DARPA. All of that funding is competitively bid and awarded to all the different performers. So if you're a DARPA program manager, the other thing is, is you can make a case, like you, you have to make it by saying, hey, I believe we need a program in, let's say, hypersonics, or I believe we need a program in um, 
printed ligaments, or I believe we need a program in like next generation artificial intelligence, you know? So they come up with these crazy ideas. They have to go make the case and what type of budget. Then they, then they get that, you know, they go through tech council and they have to really show that they're going to be solving a problem in the future. And then, you know, depending on that, they might walk away with a hundred million, 200 million to go spend on that project. Isn't that wild? Well, um, I want to change gears for a minute. Let's talk a little bit about your background. And and I just want, like, I obviously got to learn all about it. I had lots of time to do that. If we're going to give people kind of a, a quicker overview of maybe some of the bigger accomplishments, what are some of the high points? Uh, on um, DARPA or on on DARPA? You. Oh, me? oh no. okay. Startups and investment funds and energy space and these things. Y- yes. So, you know, Jess, I first I want to say, I want to talk a little bit about just, you know, from my background, I want to first say everyone thinks I've been in tech my entire career. I love tech. I'm all about a tech, but I actually have no technical degree. None. Like, so I want, I want you to, you know, Jess, I was thinking, I was looking about, you know, we were talking earlier and you think about how you started out. And so, you know, I, I want to just first say that I think you know, when you're non-technical and you're going into a very technical field, like, for example, DARPA, or if you're working in a nanotech company or, or energy space, you know, sometimes being different, being the only non-geoscientist or the non-physicist or the non-engineer or PhD mathematician actually can be your superpower, right? So it can actually be your superpower. And it, because you think of th- about things differently. So, for example, when I was at a small startup, one of the first nanotech companies, really uh, incredible company, Zyvex, and, you know, they had about 60 amazing engineers and physicists there working on carbon nanotube fibers and men- MEMS and assembly. And, you know, I saw baseball bats and hockey sticks made out of carbon nanotube fibers. I saw men fiber aligners for the telecom industry. So I saw things very differently. And, you know, I also, because I didn't have a technical degree, I didn't also have any biases against the engineers or scientists. I didn't know that they didn't take any accounting or business classes. So when we would have a discussion, you know, it was, I didn't have that bias and, you know, and I would ask them questions. And I also wasn't afraid to ask them questions or help explain you know, a theory or principle and have a robust discussion that really has helped me in, in my um, career. So for all yeah. of you, for all of um, you, non-engineers, non-scientists out there, non-mathematicians, I encourage you. Let's, let's list some of these, the different funds, the different businesses yeah. that you've yep. Yep. helped grow. Uh, so, you know, I think we talked a little bit about mission driven. And so I think, you know, in my career for innovation and entrepreneurship, you know, I believe solving big problems is, it's really not, has never been for me about going after the money. It's been about solving the problem. And some problems are, you know, the size of the prize is a billion dollars and some of the size of the prize might be 10 million, but it's always been about for me, fundamentally, I want to go solve a pain point or a challenge or a problem. And so I've been drawn to that. I've never really chased after the money. But, you know, Authentics was about before, if you think about around national security, before I didn't even think I would be at DARPA, but here I am. But that was around how do you authenticate or really track or trace? Everyone was thinking about, you know, whether that's fuel supplies or pharmaceuticals or to help reduce for excise tax recovery. And that was a, one of the first, na- we used a lot of nanotechnology to do that, but it was a company that we were able to grow and scale. It helped return billions back for our customers. And, you know, that was one of my first kind of entrepreneurial endeavors. Zyvex, you know, I worked on prosthetic arms to baseball bats. Um, you know, I think I was really focused around in, in a fund I, I started, I served as a managing director of a fund, a clean tech fund. Uh, Schlumberger was the, really worked with Schlumberger to have them be an investor in the fund. And, you know, that was really understanding that your investors are when you're trying, and the problems there was about, you know, how do we solve some of the, the, you know, energy challenges there and some of the water challenges. So 
you know, I think again, starting with problems is the best advice I have for people is like something or, you know, when people get annoyed by something, I hope that inspires them that they want to go fix it. Right. So. And so how big were those funds? The, the, the Texas one? The, yeah, so let, and... yeah, I'll share with you. So that, so I did a fund, I co-founded a fund. It was called Malibu IQ. And that was really based around um, kind of this gap that we have from really doing, I think, some of the DARPA funded research or really leading at re research. And how do you close that gap and scale into the market? And so that fund, we focused on really kind of two main areas. And one was around architecture materials. And that idea was that we really needed lightweight materials, but how do you how do you go a new way to make those or how do you architect those? And I think that was inspired if you think about the Eiffel Tower, the geometries that you could use. I mean, that, you know, even buildings, you know, think about it, the materials, it's mostly air with the, within the floors. So that was really around how you could you could really have some ways to solve problems with having lightweight materials. And the other thing was around um, GAN, and this is, you know, 15, 12 years ago, and the um, gallium nitride, and that was this idea of having a really energy efficient way to make chip. And this is before we had the chip shortage, before we were, a lot of people were even thinking about energy efficiency. But the problem was, is like chips, you know, inherently up and consume a lot of energy. And if you could make one that would be much more efficient and you could have those directed paths and you can manufacture those, that would really be a game changer for a lot of electronics. I think all of us that have cell phones that die can now fully attest to that. But um, so that fund was really around taking some really important, I think, um, research and how do you go scale that. So so that one, um, I was really happy that uh, kind of being being at the front end of, the, of that effort for that fund. Um, the Texas Emerging Tech Fund was... That was a state fund. Uh, I was appointed twice. And that was the idea of that um, at the time, um, you know, Texas had a lot of universities, especially on the medical side research, and it really wasn't getting to market. And so, and the other idea was how can you recruit the best um, teams to Texas? And so we did, we did about 125 investments in small startups. And we also did some bigger investments in really core capabilities, solving problems again. And Texas A&M had an idea about biomanufacturing and they really thought about it differently. And so that fund we were able, for example, I think one of the things I'm, I'm most proud about is we set up at Texas A&M a world-class biomanufacturing facility that changed the way and the cost of making drugs and vaccines and therapeutics. And it cut the cost tremendously you could now manufacture, you know, orphan drugs that are very expensive for families. Um, and you could do those in a much more efficient way. And so, you know, it was really about changing the game. And so, so those are two funds I'm, I'm really was just, it was an honor to get to, to participate in both of those. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so coming back to DARPA, what, what, with that job title, what does that mean you actually do day to day? <laughs> so. So, you know, I will tell you, so we, what we do, you know, our job at the end of the day is we have, DARPA's got some of the most amazing science and technologists. And so what we get to do is we get to go and say, how can we bring in some of the best entrepreneurs? We go in and we assess and we say, how can we go fund that entrepreneur to be embedded in that research team? so that we can make vibrant businesses. I mean, that that is a huge game changer. I mean, think about it. DARPA, for the last 60 plus years, they have, they have demonstrated again and again their ability to take some of the best science and get that into the market, um, get that into the hands of the warfighter. You know, our role is, you know, the world has dramatically changed. And, and so we, our team is set up, it's a very lean team. We work um, we, we work very closely with the DARPA program managers and we say, okay, what's some of the most promising things? And then we say, okay, where can we find an entrepreneur that we're going to go fund? We're going to go say this, this small research team or business, hey, we're going to come in, we're going to fund you, we're going to help work with you, we're going to connect you to private capital. 
Um, I'm going to give you an example, which I think is pretty phenomenal. We have two kind of cool stories. One is um, uh, it's, it was a, a program about program manager DARPA thought about how could you make green cement? And they came up with this idea that you could actually use microbes and those microbes would have this, um, you know, as they could, they, you know, with sand, um, you have these designer microbes and they would actually excrete calcium carbonate, which actually would form this cement. So you could basically take sand anywhere in an existing place. You could spray that sand with these microbes in it. They would be consuming um, and they would have this reaction, which would cause this calcium carbonate. It would harden. So cement that normally takes maybe a month to cure, which cure in four hours. Um, so this this was a big program, Enhanced Living um, Organisms, which, which was it called. And one of the performers was from a small group out of, uh, out of Boulder, CU Boulder. And we found this entrepreneur and he was very interested in this area. And we said, Hey, would you, would you be the embedded entrepreneur and look at this? And do you think you can make a business out of this? And we worked really closely with him. We did a lot of the analysis and we found out that it would actually be better because, you know, this is still early stage technology if we can make bricks and it would be perfect. It's almost like, in, you know, like making muffins, right? So if you could bake these bricks, you could actually, you know, help accelerate these um, microbe reaction. They would actually harden, you know, these bricks. So the, um, Lauren, his name, he, he got so excited about this. He ended up becoming the CEO. He ended up uh, working really closely with the university, set up, they got a manufacturing space. They started making these like easy bake oven, green cement blocks. And before you know it, they, now they're raising a fund. We helped them. They closed $8 million and now they have Microsoft as a customer and they're going to be putting in one of the first green cement hosting floors for Microsoft. I mean, that one person just made such a huge difference. And that's so cool. So that's so cool. So um, as a, and I'm going to get your title wrong, but chief of corporate strategy, chief commercial chief strategy. Of commercial strategy? Yep. Okay. Yep. So what parts of that process do you touch? Oh, as far as, um, well. Yeah, like you're different people doing different things at DARPA. Yep. What, what do you actually do? No, I would say that? all of the, so again, you know, every, like, DARPA is a flat organization, so everything is driven by the DARPA program manager. We never want to change that, you know? I mean, technology first, they're solving a problem. But what we do is we say after, the, after we kind of say technically they've achieved that or one of the teams has achieved that milestone, that's when we'll come in, right? So we'll come in and that's when we'll say, okay, you know, you thought about this capability how could this be used? How could we scale this into the market? How could we make a product or service? And so we'll come in and we'll do, we have a, a number of uh, folks that also serve as, you know, commercial commercial advisors. These are people that have been in venture, you know, people like you, Jess, that have been innovators, have a lot of experience. And they'll go in and they'll say, okay, let's go do an assessment. And we'll say, what can we really do? What are the key barriers to getting this into a product or service that could be used by the, again, Department of Defense or, you know, the economy? And we'll go look at that. We'll figure out what those key risks are. We'll go assess those. And then we'll say, okay, now we want to go find the right person, right entrepreneur. We want to recruit an entrepreneur. And we'll go and we'll work very closely to go find that entrepreneur. And then we'll go fund that company and that entrepreneur to go work on those kind of key areas to de-risk. And then we'll also work on how do we set up a field test, whether that might be for DOD or to go prove out that it actually works, right? To kind of get people to further de-risk it. Um, so that kind of gives you an, an, an idea. So our team, we kind of work all the way from, you know, once we know there's a there there by technically that they've met those milestones and the rigor, that's when we kind of come in and we activate, so to speak. And so let's say you make the decision, um, oh, this just needs to stay in the DOD. We don't need any competitive governments getting a hold of this, whatever. That's one direction. The other, the other direction is, no, I think this makes sense to be commercialized. Let's get this in the hands of a company that can take it to market and kind of shepherd it. But then we can benefit, you know, as a nation from it in the future. Am I kind of understanding that? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yep. Direction. And even and even I will tell you, like, even with when it's even if it's we say this is specifically for national security, um, we're still trying to bring entrepreneurship and innovation into that space as well. So they're like, there's this new really cool thing that we have. It's called Bridges. And that's going to be about getting these people that have never worked with DARPA, these entrepreneurs and innovators and research teams. And we're going to post a thing. So it might be we have one right now around antennas. And people have to write three to five pages around antennas, maybe what's unique or different or how they're thinking about it. And then what we can do is we'll select maybe the top 15 or 20 um, teams or small groups. We'll invite them in. We call it bridges because we're creating a bridge. And then they'll be able to get specific information uh, that might be sensitive and that we can work with them and we can actually fund them while they're going through, whether that means that they need to have security clearances or access to sensitive information. And then we can fund them while they're going through that process. And then we're bringing new ideas and new capabilities, but they're also getting to maybe, let's say they had a commercial business and they want to go focus on a national security measure but maybe they never had access or the data they're getting that ability to to really contribute so i'm pretty excited about this that's like another way that will help facilitate yeah and so um i guess my question there is um that funding is darpa taking an equity position is this a grant what what does that look like so jess that's a great question because people you know, DARPA does not take any warrants or equity positions. So it truly is non-dilutive funding, which is, you know, incredible. And I will say, if you look at DARPA's track record, and I can just go through, we talked about, you know, contributing to to, to the COVID-19, to the, the vaccine, but, you know, Siri, self-driving cars. I mean, I can go on and on. These are like very disruptive. So usually with that kind of level of disruption, um, can also create huge change and also huge opportunity or value in the marketplace. So, you know, like right now, I have to tell you right now, we have a, a DARPA performer. This was a program and I was at DARPA PM. She was a PhD chemist. She was in our defense science office, which is kind of like the kind of innovation arm of DARPA. And she thought about, this is before COVID, and she thought about, you know, if I could have 10 base chemicals, how many different types of drugs could I make that would be needed? So think about that, like a whole new way to think about manufacturing drugs. So you basically could have on-demand medicine, right? Maybe in the size of a car, you know, a small shipping container. And you could say, hey, I need this type of drug and I could make this. Um, So she thought about this idea. So typically those types of ideas, which are so disruptive, you know, really require, and you kind of think about how do you, some of these create entirely new industries, right? If you think about that, like that doesn't, I mean, right now you have to go to a very large, you know, biomanufacturing pharmaceutical company. So this could be a very disruptive approach. Um, And with that, you know, we have to kind of also bring in some of the top thinkers, top entrepreneurs, top, you know, top business people, and, we'll, and part of our role is to bring in those people to say, hey, look, this is what DARPA can prove. How would you think about scaling this? How can we reduce the friction to get this into the hands and, and benefit of society? Um, so we, we kind of think about uh, our portfolio on commercial strategy. We think about, obviously, we have, you know, we have about, you know, hundreds of hundreds of new programs every year. So lots of different teams. So some of those, as you thought we talked about, might go straight into a national security program. We have others that are dual use and DARPA also has some societal ones. And so, you know, for example, right now we're looking at, there's a program, it's called Refence. And this woman, Lori, she's a ocean micro, um, biologist, oceanographer. She's got, I mean, brilliant PhD. And her thinking was, you know, she was looking at the problem of, you know, coral reefs. You know, we're losing our coral reefs um, because of these wide temperature changes. And people have tried various techniques to reattach the coral, to regrow these. She, you know, we're also seeing a lot of erosion that's happening. And her idea was that if she could create a material that just to temperature and continue and also become a food source nutrient 
you could actually regrow these reefs so much faster. And so she put this program together. And if you think about it, you've got three major teams, university-led teams throughout the U.S., and they're talking about deploying these you know, in Florida and New Jersey, one in for an oyster bed, one coral reef in Florida, another one in Hawaii. That also is going to help on, you know, showing about um, mitigating erosion. You know, that's a huge societal benefit to us, right? So, you know, that's, she came there, she wanted to solve that problem. So not all of our, and you could say, well, how is that related to the mission of DOD? Well, we have a number of bases that happen to be next to oceans or, you know, and so having this material that also can help reduce erosion and and the base is also part of a national security issue. So there you go. No, that's a fun one. Yeah. So um, I'm interested there's so many people in tech that would love to have accomplished the things that you've accomplished and haven't. What do you think is different about you? What have you done that, that uh, other of your peers haven't, that haven't been able to accomplish what you've accomplished? Jess, that's such a, I mean, you know, it's so hard to just sum that up, but, but I'll say, I'm going to go back to like my favorite. Um, uh, if you thought about what's your superhuman power, right? So like if I, you know, you know, I don't know about you, Jess, if you could be a superhero, you know, who would you pick and why? Why don't I ask, I could ask you that question. <laughs> but so I, I love um, Shuri from the Black Panthers. And, you know, she was great at taking an existing technology. You know, if you think about that material that they just, that they had and she made a suit for herself that could protect her from all of the different elements. You know, she, you know, helped it to make a great civilization um, and she moved fast. And so, you know, I think I was really lucky in the sense of, you know, again, um, not having a tech, being different has been a superpower and it's allowed me to, you know, reach out and talk to people, ask the questions, you know, being bold. I think, you know, I think our families and I think our friends and our environment help us, you know, to be bold. Um, you know, being curious, uh, but, but, you know, I, I think sometimes our, what you think might be a disadvantage can sometimes be your biggest advantage. So. Okay. So let's talk about these. So the rest of us, if we want to become faster, what kind of advice, what do you think holds some of us back? What, what's a, what's a principle for us right. in creating our rate of iterations or something? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about so here's a kind of I think a really unique insight. And this this guy, Doug Kilpatrick, really brought this home. He was a geophysicist. I was working with him at a US independent, and it was imperative that we were trying to understand the subsurface and we needed to go fast, right? But sometimes you have to step back and say, What do I need to do? What do I need to do fast so I can focus on the most important things? and be slow about the most important things. So when I say be fast, it's not everything has to be fast. So I, I would say like, I was a big proponent of modeling simulation, talking with experts, voice of the customer before just plowing ahead. And, you know, I think that's, that really pays just dividends. Uh, and you'd be surprised at how many people just don't you have to kind of really think what's the most important, where do I really do need to spend my time, right? And where don't I? Automation is a big thing. You know, people, I say, why don't we automate? You know, automate, but verify. Uh, you know, I loved uh, my favorite thing. I thought, I don't know, the Arumba vacuum cleaner. Like, why don't we all have one of those? It's like, how much, how much time do I spend vacuuming when I could have that? Or simple things you think, what could be great about automating? Um so when you're looking at something really hard, you know, you need to figure out what's your highest value, where do you want to spend the most time and where, where's not your highest value. And that's, I think, I think as a, you know, if, if you're a single parent, uh, you have to do that all the time. Would you, you know, so you want to be really efficient about how you spend your time. If you're, you know, you might be in a situation where you're going, you're working full-time and going to school. I worked during college and worked my way through graduate school. It forces you, you might think that's a disadvantage, right? Because you could look at it and say, well, 
you know, wouldn't have been nice if I just, you know, had everything paid for and I didn't have to work so hard. But what it does, it teaches you that skill of I've got to be very efficient because I have to work this much, right, to pay for tuition and books. And that gives me this much time to study. So it just helps you, I think. Um, and you can look at it as like um, it helps you get build those superpower skills, I guess. It makes me think, well, let's talk about bold then. When you think about being bold, what what do you think other folks, when do you think people are timid when they shouldn't be? How do you think that someone can foster being more bold? Like, let's let's be more specific. Let's say somebody listening is is crazy enough they could work at DARPA. They're they're an individual who's trying to build like a billion dollar company, right? They're all their friends roll their eyes when they're not looking, and everyone everyone thinks they're you know uh, a little crazy and that, that it's just wishful thinking. But like they're genuinely committed to this, and they're realizing, oh, that's going to take some boldness to get there. What advice do you have for someone like that? You know, where, where do I start? I mean, I think, I think you have to look for, so being bold also means you've got to also surround yourself with people that can compliment you, right? So if you're going to be bold and you're going to go break glass, which you need to do, you're going to have to find people that can actually help sweep up the broken glass. Who you see, you want to surround yourself with people that are not like you. That's like, to be bold, so like at DARPA, for example, we have some brilliant program managers, but we also have this really special group of people called CETAs, which are senior, you know, engineering technical advisors, and they might have a business background or they have engineered approach. And so they're to complement that DARPA PM so they can really come in and think about the hard things. And, and they're surrounded with some people that are complementary to them. So if you've got a bold idea, one, you need to have a really good kind of whether you ask people to to your friends, your family, but you got to pick people that are different than you because you want to have those different perspectives. And then you've got to go to organizations. And I think the, the biggest, hardest thing is for us to have empathy. So people can develop empathy. Just I was reading about your charity and what you've done in your, you know, your foundation and how you had this empathy for a topic and you really found people and you thought about the outreach. And, and if you think about empathy, what that allows you to do, you know, and I, I say when you're bold, you know, have understanding empathy. So you're so driven on your idea, but over time I've learned to have empathy. How would someone that's going to be disrupted by your bold ideas. So like, if you say like, Hey, I'm going to come in and we're going to change everything. How does that person feel that's being changed? How is their industry or their role going to be changed? So that empathy is, I think the second piece. So you surround yourself with, with different people that have to really challenge your thinking and, you know, seeing, helping you with your blind spots, empathy. So you're really seeing things from a person's point of view of how to, how do they get there? And then, and then the third, the third thing with boldness is you really have to focus on, I call it service. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but you know, if you're bold because you want to serve others or you want to, you're solving a, a mission, you know, you focus on that, that helps you courage, I think, um, you know, I, and I, and I think, so you focus on, you know, you have to kind constantly remind yourself, what's my mission? mission-driven innovation entrepreneurship. I'm trying to serve, you know, the greater good. So that's my, you know, my three, three steps that I've done in my career. I've also had it. And here's, I'm going to say the last thing I wanted just to kind of, I think we should talk about, and this is a story that um, I had, I had started at a, it was a telecommunications company. It was one of the first, they were bringing broadband wireless to the market. Um, we had, this was at Windstar. They had a large telecom company that um, was backing backing us, and they defaulted on all their loans. We had to let go all these engineers, right? And um, we went into bankruptcy. And this is all. These are the hard lessons about being bold, right? And being bold, even when it's really hard, is what I'm I'm trying to share with us. And what happened was September 11th happened. And all of a sudden, the company, we were going bankrupt. We were in filing, you know, bankruptcy. 
We had laid off a majority of our engineers. September 11th happened. People have to call up those engineers that they had just laid off without a second thought. They were in trying to get those small dishes. I remember like when we were setting up wireless, the, tri- the towers had gone down. So telecommunications was down. These engineers without, had just been laid off. Without a second thought, we're driving up dishes up to New York to set up service. So I say with being bold means doing the right thing, even when it's hard, you know? So without, and what that did is that helped the company, one, I think just a service to the people that were undergoing that tragedy. But secondly, it demonstrated the power of that technology in the company. And then the company was subsequently acquired by IDT and got out of bankruptcy. You know, those engineers. Oh, that's such a great story. The right yeah. thing. Being bold and doing yeah. the right thing. Okay. Uh, right. Before my third question on this track, um, do you guys disclose how much of that almost $4 billion a year is going to the programs versus to the commercialization? Um, m- the majority, if not all. Uh, you know, a very small percent is focused on the commer- so commercialization strategy. I mean, DARPA, we work with a number of different partners. We work with, you know, different branches of the service. We work with groups um, within the RE community. We work with our university partners. We work with our, our you know, different labs. Um, so we have a number of groups that we're already working with on commercialization. Uh, we probably um, award maybe 40, around 35 or 40 DARPA pro- programs per year that we'll, we'll specifically work with very closely. We also have um, so a very small percentage of funding goes to the commercialization effort. I will say um, one of the big challenges has been is, you know, and one of the reasons what we're really focused on is, you know, we want to see things, whether that's national security or dual use. We've seen really an influx of adversarial capital coming into the marketplace. And this is very concerning because adversarial capital means that the motives are not to go scale the technology or help the company grow. So it could be that maybe that technology that they want to go take that into another country or another government wants that. And so a big thing that we're, we're really, you know, it's a call to service um, to really for, you know, national economic security and prosperity is we're trying to say, hey, we need the best people. We need to come in with, you know, building around these ecosystems and getting really the most important technology that we're developing out of DARPA and getting that into the hands of both DOD and in, into the market. Um, and we're trying to make sure that we're not, you know, that we have other options besides, you know, adversarial capital. So, we're, you know, and that takes, that's not just my small team. That's people, th- you know, throughout, throughout, you know, in in the tech space, you know, in industry, we have people in corporates, corporates, corporate venture, um, corporations that can go out and do field tests. So we're working with them. So it really requires us to be thinking differently. You know, as Drop is moving into this with this new era. So, yeah. So um, my next question there is, you know, these these other funds. I think I saw one was in two hundred millions. One was in the four hundred millions, and now. You know, influencing things at DARPA, you know, four billion. Is that four billion a year? Is that what goes up? I'm interested that order of magnitude different. The order of magnitude difference and the mission difference. How is it how is it similar or different than the other funds you've been a part of? Yeah, I mean, so like and yours yours kind of interesting. So, you know, mission driven innovation or investment right and you'll see some funds that they'll say like corporate venture um you know they're focused on making investments so their corporation has strategic advantage maybe that's in the form of competitiveness access to technology career development of its people they're not strictly focused on just financial returns so you know so and i'll say that you know and from the oil my oil and gas experience you know um being at two u.s independents and, you know, making, you know, LP investments into venture funds, you know, our motive was we wanted to ensure that the U.S. independence oil and gas could go head to head and compete with OPEC, could actually assure energy independence, you know. And so 
our returns when we're investing in technology, when we're investing in, in small companies or into venture funds was around those strategic returns, not just that we were going to get, you know, a, a return because this company was able to go from, you know, our series A investment went to the series C and had an exit. We were focused on, gee, if we had automation for drilling, what we could do, or if we could have methane sensing analytics, how we could then reduce methane in the pipelines, which would then also save us, you know, money, um, you know, so we would look at those, those benefits versus just the financial returns. So DARPA, similarly, when we're making investments in technology, some of those investments, we might, you know, our returns are we're looking is for, again, to pose and prevent technological surprise for our warfighters. So we might not see those returns for 10, 20 years, right? But when when we do, they're amazing, right? And so so that's that, you know, that's where we're really focused on. You know, from having said that, we're making sure that some of those technologies, we want to make sure that we have the option, right? So from a commercial strategy standpoint, we want to make sure that we have the option, that they're not being hijacked. And sometimes they might just have, although it might have been originally for a major pose and prevent technological surprise for the warfighter, it might turn out that, wow, they found this amazing material and maybe it was suited to go help regrow the coral reefs, or maybe it was suited to go print ligaments, you know, and that was a better use. So we, you know, we do focus on just the benefit to the, to the U.S. Uh, we've made these investments, how are we getting the most out of those? So we want to have a, a really good portfolio. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have lots of different kinds of people that listen to the show. Uh, when you think about the kind of folks that you want to connect with, like, who do you hope is listening today and reaches out? I, well, I, I hope three, three groups. I hope, I hope one, that we have people that are so excited about DARPA that they want to go to our website. And again, if they have a great, crazy, wild idea that they're going to DARPA, we have all of our program managers. There's not that many of them. We have six major offices at DARPA that they're going on the website. Any Every DARPA program manager and our office directors, their emails and phone numbers are there. And we're here to serve and we're here to hear about your great ideas. So that's group one. Group two, I hope that if you're an entrepreneur out there and you're thinking about, gee, you just had an exit. Or you want to be a part of making something big happen that you reach out to, to me, you reach out to our team, and we're here to serve. And we want to bring in the best people, best entrepreneurs. So we've got lots of opportunities. And so we really hope that if you're interested, you want to learn more, we're here. And then thirdly, I want, I want some of the groups that are that ecosystem. You know, if you think about, well, you know, what's my role in this? I'm, I, you know, I might just be a chamber or I might be, you know, I'm, I'm at a university or maybe I'm, you know, I might be, uh, you know, a supplier. Well, you know, I'd say, you know, come to one of our DARPA events, come listen. We do DARPA. We have DARPA events. We're doing a, a whole series of events throughout the country. You know, we can, we have new programs. We can connect you because we do believe that it takes an ecosystem to make these things happen. So that's what I would hope, Jess. I hope that I okay. inspire people to, to come forward. Yeah, yeah. So, and what are kind of the main things that you do now to connect with those groups? Well, I would say, well, we have a number of ways we do that. You know, we're always looking for, for better ways, but, you know, Jess, being with you here today, I mean, this is an honor. I mean, you you have some incredible people that you bring together and connect. And so I hope that, you know, us getting to spend this time together, that's one way for people to bring awareness. You know, of course, we have our website. We do some social media. We have some conferences that we, we host and we will go out to. But, you know, a lot of times it might be a group that invites us. And, you know, we're excited to, to be able to participate when we can. So, and what kind of groups do you like to see invitations from? Oh, it could be, you know, it could be universities, it could be, you know, companies, it could be, you know, if you're in conferences, you know, trade shows. Um, we're doing a new thing, Jess, which is cool. I forgot to mention, I'm glad you brought this up. Let's say you're not quite ready to make that full dive into being a DARPA program manager. And maybe let's say you're at a university and you're, you know, 
postdoc or grad student and you think you might want to be interested about what would it be like, or you have some really great ideas, but we have a new program called the DARPA Fellows Program. We're going to have about 30 or 40 people a year come join. They'll get to spend a year with us at DARPA. Uh, and, you know, that's at DARPA DSO. And again, we're hoping that some of these people that come will become the future DARPA PMs, um, you know? So that's another way we're trying to, to bring people together about non-traditional people coming to DARPA to serve. That's fun. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot of different subjects. What didn't I ask? You know, Jess, I think, I guess the, the big question I would have is, um, you know, we talk about, you know, I think, you know, innovation as a service, I guess, is the other thing I would like for us to think about. So if we're thinking about, you know, again, I'm going to talk about when I think about innovation or entrepreneurship, you know, I think about, you know, mils, military service is important, you know, it's protecting our way of life, you know, as is, you know, charitable charity and uh, charitable work is also another mode of service. But I, I think I want to just kind of sum up these, you know, technical innovation, you know, in advancing our nation and humanity, you know, is it that innovation is a service to both national security and to humanity. And I, I want to think about, you know, donating time, money and effort through, you know, you know, it's huge. I also think, you know, being an entrepreneur, being an innovator and te technical innovation is something that can have an equal and greater impact upon humanity. And I hope that those people out there are thinking about this in their career and they're saying, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I want them to really think about that. We have a lot of problems in the world that need to be solved. And I really hope that, you know, how do we encourage and, and kind of bolster this type of service? No, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, uh, this has been great. Thanks for making so much yes. time for this. Thank you. I really appreciate you, Jess. And I look forward to catching up with you. And um, thanks again um, on behalf of DARPA. And um, Jess, it's just been great to be a part, part of your, your uh, podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks again.